Warning, this podcast may contain a lot of balls and bad language and content that some listeners may find offensive. How many balls? Seven. Are they made of any particular material? Hard rubber. Welcome to the Seesaw Podcast with Tea and Cleaves. Each week, offering up a dry perspective on life. Welcome to another ball-busting episode of Seesaw Podcast, brought to you from floor 288. I think that's slightly less than last week. I don't think it is. We don't always have to be at the top. Well, no, we have offices downstairs. So this week, we have another guest. We're guesting it up on here now. So this time around, we are also not just having a guest, we are also re-recording... A topic that we did, I think it was episode two, wasn't it? It was. And why didn't we keep that episode, Cleves? Too good. It was too good. It would blow your tiny little minds. By too good, I mean too long and too shit. This time we're keeping the topic the same and decided to get actually someone on to talk about goalball. What is goalball? A year, 1946. After giving a pesky Hitler a knuckle sandwich, visually impaired and blind veterans look for a rehabilitation option. The answer? Goalball. A Paralympic sport since 1976. Two teams of three face off on a 12 by 9 court. With all players blindfolded, they have to rely on court markings and an audible ball to succeed in scoring against their opponents. The first to reach a 10-goal lead, or the best of two rounds of 12 minutes, is the winner. But watch out, this ball can travel up to 60 kilometers an hour, and is made of hard rubber. A dangerous sport for any wanting to get involved. So, if that little snippet from the 1940s didn't tell you what goalball is, it's a sport for the visually impaired and blind. Uh, you wear blackout shades, and it's quite brutal. Are they Ray-Bans? Unfortunately not. I think they <laughs> they are all branded, but I don't think they're Ray-Bans. Ray-Bans. What do you do in this game? You throw balls at each other. There's a giant goal behind each of you. Two teams are free. And the aim is to basically roll the ball and get it past your blindfolded opponents to score a goal. Can you chuck the ball? Like dodgeball style? Is it no, no. You have a halfway line, and if it does not touch the court before that... Can you bounce it? You can. Um, bounce it hard. So it's like um, it's like beer pong, but, but with three people, and a goal behind. Essentially, yeah. You are allowed to do that, but I think there are limits on height as well, because you get... The yeah. sport needs a rebrand. If, if they were all wasted when you did it, like, make it dartsy. I mean, we could definitely give that a go. I could probably get hold of some goal balls. And some blackout shades and get some drunk people. I'll volunteer for the drunk part. Well, wear a cup. That's where the, <laughs> that's where the cups come in from the beer pong. All right, today's guest. Richard. Do you want me to say who he is? <laughs> you can actually stick with Richard if you want. Um, former international goalball player. Nine-year career in goalball. So we've got him on to have a chat about it. Another guest today. And this time we have... Well, how to describe Richard? Family man, father, husband. Um, Just so you know what you're getting at your eulogy. 
<laughs> I don't think I'll be the one doing the eulogy, to be honest. I mean, there's many people queuing up. Well, not queuing up. That's a bad times. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to think. Like, you've, you've done so much, Rich. And like, I don't want to put any labels on you. So how about you, you introduce yourself? Yeah, okay. Well, I'm Richard. I'm a father of five, married for 11 years, registered blind with a small bit of vision. Just, I don't know, living life. <laughs> Like you do. Yeah. Like even getting you like we're grateful for you coming on now because like even getting you for a brief moment, I know is is hectic, especially with the family and all the other things you do. That's good to have a break. Well we'll we'll hopefully have a, a nice fun one. <laughs> nice chill session. So what have we got Richard on today, please? Talk about goalball. Talk about goalball. You're quite an accomplished goalball player, aren't you, Rich? Like when, when did you start playing? So I started playing in probably 1999 or 2000. So yeah, I started playing then, um, played domestically sort of in the sort of novice, novice tournaments as they were then at the, for the first couple of years and worked my way up to the intermediate level and then to the experience. I'm sure all the, the labels of all the levels are different now to when I played, but that's how it was. It was novice, intermediate and experienced with the three sort of tournament tiers. And then in, I think, 2003, so I'd only been playing for three or four years, that's when I got my first international call-up. Um, how, how did you first find out about it? So I went to New College Worcester, or RIB New College, as it was at the time, um, and it was just played there in the sort of PE lessons because that's a yeah, school for the visually impaired. So I just played there. And was there somewhere locally after you left there then that you could carry it on? Um, so when I left there, it did become quite difficult to play domestically, uh, certainly to do training anyway. I mean, I was still playing international after I left there for another six years. And apart from the sort of international training sessions, the international tournaments and the domestic tournaments, which I played in with a few of the lads that I played internationally with, there wasn't really much chance or opportunity to play club level where I was living at the level I was at there was sort of you know novice clubs but I wasn't going to go play with these you know, sort of young youngsters <laughs> yeah, knocking, them about, <laughs> knocking them out <laughs> yeah not a good idea so that's, that's, yeah that's one thing I found when when I gave it a go and it was sort of like a mixed bag of everyone there and a guy in my 30s and I'm there training with kids essentially yeah. 14 15 year olds I thought I'm gonna kill someone. <laughs> like, I you were, can't. you were, you were, you were thinking, "Don't hurt me." <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, that first session, I got a blasted lip from one of them. Yeah, punks. There you go. yeah that hurt a lot. But yeah, you get all of it. So you got your call up at school then. I was still at school. Yeah, I was. I was 15, probably. That is young for international. Was that like yeah. just up to sort of reserve, or was that like main squad sort of thing? So it was, I'd been to a couple of international training camps just as a, as a kind of future prospect, I suppose. And then we had like a, a weekend training session or camp or whatever you want to call it, where they were going to select the squad. And I don't know, I played particularly well in that session. And the coach decided to give me a, give me a go. It was a squad of six we were taking, which is like the maximum you can take. You have three players on a team plus substitutes. So six is like the biggest squad. So they took me, I think, as the, the sixth player initially. But it, again, in the tournament as well, it, it went rather well for me and I ended up 
starting more games than I didn't and finishing as a second top goal scorer in the team. That was me off from there. <laughs> I was up and running. How did they come to pick you for the camps in the first place? Did they have like scouts that come around? Uh, I suppose it was from the elite. The international coaches would always be at the top level domestic tournaments and they would just see the players there because it wasn't like, it's not like a football thing where you're playing matches week in, week out. It's like weekend long tournaments where you play every other team that's at that level in like a sort of round robin tournament. So you were playing sort of tournaments every couple of months rather than matches all the time. So they'd come and see the tournaments. They'd see all the players um, sort of all at once and, and see how people were from then. And you'd get your call-ups after that. And it's especially, I think, with VI Sport, it's, it's very sort of like close-knit, isn't it? Like, yeah, yeah. there's only so many locations, only so many tournaments. And like, you, you get to know everyone really quick. Like, you know who the scouts are, you know the coaches, you know who the players on the who are doing well at the time. I think it's once you're entrenched, I think you, know, you just get in there, don't you? Like you end up at your first tournament and you're meeting everyone sort of in that one go, aren't you? Yeah, no, definitely. And that's the thing. I think it's very different goalball sort of in this country to in many other larger countries where oh, our, our domestic tournaments are our national tournaments. All the teams from all the countries participate in, in all the tournaments. Whereas in like the States, it's all sort of interstate championships and and so on. So a lot of the players don't you, you don't you get a lot of surprises you get people you don't see all the time whereas in in, in england it's all same people all the time <laughs> yeah blessing and a curse <laughs> yeah exactly it is it is because it you know you it's a smaller pool of players you've got to pick from but everyone's used to playing with each other more so if they do get if you do select a squad you know that those players are going to blend probably better so when was it you've, you've been scouted and you're starting your international. So after that first like tour, international tournament, from your performance, like you smashed it by the sounds of it, was that you sort of in the the main squad at that point, or was it still a little bit away to go? I was. That was pretty much that. I think I was then pretty much in the main squad until I'd decided to retire, which was just after the World Championships in 2010. Then I got asked to come back because of the Paralympics in 2012, but I didn't get to that far so fair few years so that's seven odd years that's sort of yeah so overall nine nine years overall with small gaps a couple of small gaps fantastic so 2008 what what, what about those like Paralympics were you Uh, we didn't we we didn't qualify for that so that that first few years so actually the first tournament I was in in 2003 was the Paralympic qualifiers for Athens in 2004 which we didn't qualify for and then we, I don't even think we got to the qualifiers <laughs> for 2008. So it was the kind of rebuilding over those sort of four or five years. And then we were into the cycle building up to 2012. So it must be quite competitive then, like internationally then. Yeah, it's very competitive. It's one of these sports, and I think this is what puts a lot of people off, where I think the lower level domestic game can be quite dull, can be quite dull to watch, can be quite dull to participate in. Um, but then when you get to the, the higher level and to the international, I've spoken to you know family and friends who are all sighted and they've said as a, as a spectator sport, the high level, it's actually up there with, with loads of other sports because it's so fast action. There's so much going on. It's good to watch and it's, it's good to play at that level because it is it's hard work. You know, you're having a ball thrown, thrown at you at 50, 60 mile an hour. The ball weighs 1.25 kilos and you've got, 
you know, it's, it's thrown at you from 12 meters away and you've got half a second to react. It's good stuff. I think I, I noticed that from, I've looked at a few like YouTube videos and stuff like that of Paralympics gone. And it's just night and day when you go to the practice and it's generally everyone's on the floor, then you you throw and then everyone's on the floor and then they're blocking. It's very sort of slow, isn't it? It's very yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. methodical. Like but balls, then balls trickling along and yeah. yeah. And then you look at the international and you see like running side like all across yeah, the yeah. court. And it's like throwing themselves around and stuff, yeah. Yeah, and you think that's that's mad. Like you would yeah. would not think that they're wearing blackout glasses, like all visually impaired, but you can't see anything. No, like, no, no. That's right. Yeah, no, just the awareness the players have of each other, because you've got three people and they're all because you stay down your end of the of the court. So you're all close together and the way they just you know, run around each other. They're so aware of where each other are. It's mad. Yeah. Are there any countries that are traditionally good at it? You know, like Brazil's notorious for football and that sort of thing. It's, it's one of these really odd sports where the sort of countries who, certainly while I've been playing, and I think even up till recently, the sort of countries that are good at it are just so unexpected. You've got places like Lithuania and Hungary and Finland and it's, it's you know, you've got your you know USA's and a couple other sort of big well-known ones, but it's mainly a lot of the obscure European countries and right. like China. China are very good, but it, yeah, it's it's weird. Lithuania, Hungary, <laughs> Ukraine, all that sort of yeah. Probably because again, I think as far as if you're in, in these sorts of countries, if you're visually impaired, that's what you play. You know, they don't obviously play cricket even. Even incited, sort of wise, they don't, they're not big footballing countries. So I think if you're blind, that's what you play if you live in those countries. So again, they've got that larger pool of players to pick from. And it's just what, if you want to do sport, that is what you do. So they get, yeah. they get good. Yeah. <laughs> We've almost got too much choice over here. <laughs> it's like goalball's like the de facto blind sport of the world, isn't it? I think, yeah, because it's got no comparison in the in the sighted world you know you can play blind football or blind cricket and and you can talk to somebody else who doesn't know anything about it you can talk to them about it and they kind of can get it whereas this you've got to explain it right from the start i used to hate it when people would ask you know if we were i don't know going through an airport or a station or something and we were all kitted up and someone would go oh what is it you're doing and you have to be oh god i've got to explain this whole sport and how it works and try and make it sound good (laughs) (laughs) In all in about 30 seconds. <laughs> so you want to explain it quickly for the listeners? Yeah, okay. I can <laughs> give, it, give it a go. Thanks. He <laughs> did that um, on purpose, just a, yeah. a reaction. Oh, don't worry. Yeah. So international, like, do you have any sort of like standout moments or favourite places, like biggest accomplishments? My two favourite tournaments for me personally would be that first, say first, call up I got because we went we went to Quebec for like two weeks so it was a massive tournament it was because it was the Paralympic qualifier so it was multi-sport so it was all the disabled swimmers all the disabled athletes it was like loads of sports and we were all putting together it was like it was almost like a mini Paralympics it was like a proper camp we all got given like bags and bags of kit track suits and big opening ceremony and everything so that was to, for my first thing it was awesome and also, to sort of me to go in with no expectation was was just really good because I went in with no expectation. You know, first match I was on the bench as expected. Sort of got we were playing the USA. 
I think we were like seven nil down. She brought me on for some reason. <laughs> when you're seven nil <laughs> down, you bring on the newbie. Uh, like, what's he gonna do? Um, but I scored a couple, and yeah, we I think we lost the game eight four in the end. But it was just a really good introduction, and just that whole tournament was was a real eye opener and real good experience for me. My other favorite tournament was probably the world championships which was in sheffield so we got home support it was 2010 everyone was getting excited about the london paralympics i think we came 16 fat 16 <laughs> but again i top scored it was my last big tournament or i thought it was at the time well i thought i thought it was going to be and it did turn out to be because i never got to the paralympics and um that was that was amazing my only other standout moment i think would be in a european championships where we played greece and we were 3-2 down with five seconds to go. And the coach called a timeout. He told me what I had to do. He told me that there was a, a gap that they kept leaving in a certain place. And I had to basically hit it dead on. I had to hit it by the inch. The shot had it perfect. Uh, ref blew the whistle to start the game again. And I hit it and I scored it and we drew three all. So that was, that was an amazing moment personally nice. again. What's it, like so, in, uh, what's it like after the games when you go on these camps? What's the nights out like? the end of the tournaments then it's great obviously at the end of games if you're there for like a week and you've you know, got games each day or even if you have a day off you've still got to still got to behave um yeah. but afterwards there's yeah there's some some wild wild nights <laughs> do all the different countries hang out or is it just a case yeah, of yeah uh, generally okay. it depends depends what tournaments and it depends what countries certainly when we've been to the big internationals like the, the sort of worldwide sort of things we would hang out quite a lot with the with the sort of guys from the states and the Aussies and the Kiwis and the Canadians. When it's the European tournaments, again, I suppose because a lot of the countries you're playing against, are like your Lithuanians and Slovenias and and Finlands and stuff, there's you don't really have I don't know, you don't hang out with them as much. I don't know if it's because of the language barrier or just a differing of, of culture. Whereas you know your people from the US, it's just pretty similar, I suppose. Have more in get- common. <laughs> Do you get to wander around the country a little bit as well, or is you, are they like all business? Uh, it's pretty much all business. Um, yeah, mainly all business. Uh, depends. I think we've been to a couple where we did have sort of days off where we where we got to explore a bit, but most of them, I've been to lots of weird and wonderful countries and seen not a lot apart from an airport, a hotel, and a sports centre. <laughs> <laughs> so, which is a shame. <laughs> Was it all funded? The internationals? It, yeah, yeah, I think. I certainly don't remember paying anything. <laughs> yeah, no, it was pretty much, yeah. That's quite rare, like, especially when you hear things, like, even with Paralympics, like, some sports are, like, doing GoFundMes, but yeah. even for Japan, because they have no funding, it's like, no. we just need to get there. It's like, wow, that's... Yeah, no, it is, it is sad. And I do think, from what I've heard in the last few years, I think it's been very much the same, and I know the women's... Uh, GB Goldball squad have certainly had to do that a lot over the years. I've had to fund, which is especially sad because they're the more successful out of the two teams. <laughs> you know, they were, yeah, they've sort of meddled in Europeans and and things like that. So it's it is a shame. It's just yeah that these sports aren't getting the the support that your mainstream stuff does. You said, work like, just as hard. When you're looking at it like as a spectator side of things for the internationals, it is exciting. So, like, surely money could be generated through that way for the sport. Even I mean, now it's never been easier with streaming services and stuff like that. So, surely there's got to be something that can be done. 
you'd, you'd, you'd like you'd hope so wouldn't you? you'd like to think so i guess a lot of it is with disability sport because it's most of the funding comes from like your lottery grants or sport england which is the big organization that kind of funds a lot of the, the sporting stuff if the sport itself it's not i suppose about whether it can sell tickets or anything or whether it's going to be spectated it's it's how much potential the specific team has got to perform well in a in a big competition and we're just not that good <laughs> <laughs> why is that though do you think it's is that down to lack of funding though that they can't get the people well this is the this is it? 20, yeah it's a it's a vicious cycle isn't it um yeah. i think i think there are elements of it i certainly know when with one of the coaches we had who was really big on on trying to push like the not professionalizing but certainly trying to make it more professional he wanted sort of the the top players to be be centralized sort of live live near each other sort of train together sort of weekly week in week out um but again the money was never there for it so there's if you just need i think someone who's got the, the the drive and the the willpower to have the good ideas that can be sort of given to the to the funding bodies that they're gonna they're gonna like and they're gonna accept and it's just too obscure a support a, 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 <laughs> obscure a sport and there's just no one who can be bothered i don't think or has got that kind of devotion to it that is a shame it's it's crazy how there's just no funding for for any of these sports so 2010 rocks around and you retired so what put on the retirement was it just sort of family commitments or have you just had enough of it at that point i think mainly family i felt i was it was difficult i felt like i was still at the top of my game but i had two kids by then and i was getting married a couple of weeks after <laughs> after yeah. that and I just I thought that was enough was enough. Um, I needed to focus on on family life, and that did. I mean, that lasted about three months. <laughs> <laughs> and they they asked me to come back. They wanted to they wanted a good team for the for the Paralympics. They had a new coach after the say sixteen about sixteen in the World Championships. So new coach, load of new new players, new ideas, and they wanted still the core of the the team that was had potential to still be successful. I suppose they still wanted them around. So they did ask me to come back, um, which I did for a while. Obviously we were building up to the Paralympics, got to I think April, 2012. And that's when I got my shoulder injury and that took me out then. And that was it. I was, wasn't going to be ready to compete. So I retired for good then. Devastated, mate. Devastated, especially when the injury takes you out of it. Yeah, and even though you had all all your other sort of things, you had your family, and like I, I imagine like that was uh, balancing it's going to be tough at at the best times, and then for an injury being the the end all, and it wasn't on your terms necessarily. Yeah, I think that was. I, you know, there's a big part of me that kind of wished I'd stuck to my guns and re- stopped when I when I sort of said I was going to, but I I loved all the build up to the Paralympics, and it, I was absolutely gutted that I wasn't. You know, I was never. I didn't didn't make it. Didn't get that far because it would have been. I mean, that would have been an amazing experience. That would have been one of those. You know, it's one of those once in a lifetime phenomenal experiences. A home Paralympics yeah. would have been would have been awesome, but um, wasn't to be. I've made my peace with that. It's all good. <laughs> so we lost anyway. We were rubbish. <laughs> I was better off out of it. 
Oh, they didn't have you, Rich. That's what. It well, was. that's it. That's, that's exactly it, and that's what I can keep saying. I said, yeah, they would have been fine if I'd been playing. <laughs> they had a track record of you know one of those like Disney sport film finishes. Like, yeah, that's it. Bringing yeah. it back, so that's what you need sometimes. It is. So that's sort of like for the summary of your career. Like, would you say you enjoyed it? Was uh, I know that a lot of these sports come with a lot of political sides of things. I suppose my. What I'm trying to drive at is, is there anything that you would improve or anything that you look back or you could think I that could have been better, like either from like what you could put in or the system could have done for you, like as the actual sport itself? I do think that more funding would have helped. I think for me, it was that was that was one of the reasons I originally chose to retire because of the family and you know, wanting to spend more time with my family, but also having to pay yourself to travel to to the camps which were all over the country and having to pay for to play in your domestic tournaments and the, the club level you know you were you would have just been like a team of three or four of you and it was up to you to you know you had no coaches it was you who did it all yourself so you paid for your tournament entries you paid for your train fares you paid for your hotels and I just couldn't keep saying I'm not going to be here this weekend that weekend and the other and I'm going to be taking money off you know off the family to do that I think that could have been better I think if there was money for that it would have made a big difference to a lot of people certainly to me I loved every minute of it I wouldn't wouldn't change any of what I did it was it was brilliant it was great to be you know to 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 say I was an international sportsman is always something that I will be grateful for I just think it's we're not as geared up for a sport like that than a lot of other countries you know I think we put a lot of effort into our disabled athletics teams and our disabled swimming teams and and things like that because I think because they are more more mainstream and because they can be coincide with with the normal stuff I think a lot of the other things are just swept under the carpet a bit more they're not cool <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's a shame because from what I played of goal ball and I just did it for a bit of fun like it was never any yeah, when I gave it a go, I was 32. I thought, this is not something you're ever going to get anywhere with, but have some fun with it. And it's a shame because I enjoyed playing it and I enjoyed watching what, what I have of it as well. And I think a lot of people would find enjoyment in watching it as a sport. Do you think um, if they got goalball into just normal schools rather than like blind or visually impaired schools and kids just start to play it generally, sighted or not, that would help out? It's possible. It is possible. I mean, because throughout my career and even slightly afterwards, I had been. I've been. I've been into schools. I've been to sports clubs. I've been to like clubs and scouts, and I've done like um, taster sessions with them. And I've not had one where the kids. Every time the kids have loved it, they've always they've always really enjoyed it. They've been like, "This is so cool. This is so different." So fun yeah <laughs> but exciting and kids just love throwing themselves around on the floor diving at a ball it's it is uh, yeah it could make a difference but again it's you know people to do it it's that's going to always be the problem that's always going to be a sticking point is is money and the people who have got the time and the commitment yeah and i suppose like then you've got like the the stigma of it because it is very much it's not an adapted sport it's an actual visually yeah. impaired sport and maybe after these sessions, it's like, oh, that was really fun. Exactly. I'm not visually impaired. So what's do the I have a, to me? Yeah, yeah. It's like, do I have the right to play this? Mm. It's like, well, you're all on an even play, like 
playing field. I mean, maybe not at a competitive level. I mean, otherwise you'll never get any vision impaired people competing. Yeah. But maybe like at a competitive level, you draw the line. But I don't know. Maybe there is a place for it on the curriculum at schools, and then just I don't know incorporating fully sighted kids into the domestic game, perhaps to get the numbers up. Yeah, I mean, well, the domestic game, the actual rules for the British, unless it's changed when I played, there's nothing stopping sighted people playing. It's only international that you can't play if you're fully sighted. Great Britain domestic goal has always been open to two sighted people. Obviously, there aren't many that have done it, but there have been a few, usually family and friends and stuff that have fell in love with it as well and they've donned a blindfold and, and gone for it. So the ones with the yeah, the ones with guts, the brave ones. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I imagine nothing scares anyone off quicker than you misjudge it, you put your arms out and then you get that ball straight in the chops. Yeah, not nice. No. <laughs> I can imagine but what's it like getting hit like, at international level, they said that's just 50, 60 miles an hour. It it can hurt. It's amazing. Sometimes it will just, you know, I guess, again, like a lot of sports, it's all about, about your technique. If you've got your technique spot on, it should not hurt. There are certain places it can. I mean, you, you wear, wear a cricket box, but if you get hit in a certain areas, it can be still uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's still not nice. I do actually, I know of someone who got hit there uh, with their box on, the ball split the box, and then they got themselves stuck, it caught in the split. Oh, and that oh. was nasty. Yeah, it closed that's... up, closed back up around them. <laughs> oh, that's uh, yeah, cross your legs, cross your legs. Yeah, <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, uh, I thought blind cricket had some of its horrible moments. And <laughs> <laughs> any sort of moments to stand out, sort of like funny moments or situations that happen, sort of on the on the court, off the court. I think there was times we might have messed about, especially playing domestically when we knew we were playing against weaker teams. I think the most ridiculous thing we did, and we got quite in quite a lot of trouble for it, was when we were playing in a round robin and we'd worked out, we had, one of the lads in our team was quite a good mathematician. He'd worked out all his statistics and he worked out if we lost our final match, we would get an easier semi-final. So we, uh, we threw the match. We just stood there, let them score. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah the governing body got us got you know, we got in a lot of trouble for that <laughs> match fixing <laughs> but yeah uh, we won the tournament so hey ho <laughs> <laughs> so you say max fixing and all I can think is like you're all just standing at the post like visor, we did, like, yeah. glasses down just like yeah just stand here like having a cup of tea just like <laughs> yeah, pretty much we just stood there let them score then we just threw it back to them <laughs> let them do it again Wow. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we were quite obvious. We were quite blatant about it. I think if we'd done it well and made it look like an accident, we'd have got away with it. But we, we weren't that sensible. <laughs> <laughs> so that was quite amusing. Oh, so a great career then. Like, it sounds like you've had a like, great career. I mean, you captained a fair bit as well, didn't you? I captained um, a junior international uh, for, yeah, for a couple of, couple of our big tournaments. So I never captained a senior because there was always always one of the other lads who was much more captain material than I was. I was just goal scorer. Uh, sometimes I guess that with disabled sports anyway, especially with VI sports, isn't it? Like you know who the I suppose it comes down to legacy more than anything. Like, I'm just thinking like, yeah. like international, like blind cricket. 
if you look at the team over the last 15, 20 years, you'll see the same like mm-hmm. six or seven names yeah. every single time, and it has never changed. Institution, that's what it is. It is exactly what it is, yeah. Awesome. Fantastic. Thanks for coming on, Rich. It's been great to chat to you, mate. We've known each other a fair old time now. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Cool. Yeah, it'd be great having you just sort of find out a bit more about Goldball uh, outside of the brief Googling that I did about Goldball. And if you want to know more about Rich, um, tough. <laughs> <laughs> He's a busy man. Get in line. Well, thanks for coming on, Rich. Thank and, you, guys. Uh, I'll chat to you soon. Now, wasn't that fun and informative, Cleves? Again, I sound really disingenuous. <laughs> yeah, so patronising. I know. I just wasn't that great, folks? Let me pat you on the head and feed you a biscuit. Literally, I, I mean that really sincerely. It's just really awkward coming back from something we've pre-recorded and then we're doing the wraparound sort of post. Do you know who else gets wrapped around a post? Blind drivers. They do. And blind goalball players, if they fuck up a save. Yeah, there's still goalposts. They're made of metal. <laughs> Most posts are made of metal. They could be made of plastic. I guess. Or wood. Oh, yeah, wooden posts. Or hard rubber. That's a dildo you're thinking of. <laughs> we can't incorporate that into any blind games. <laughs> That's a completely different thing. Dildo baseball? I mean, the bat's really small. Mm, not the other ones I use. <laughs> Well, I had fun. <laughs> you will do it the next game. <laughs> oh, God. Next week? Next week is going to be a surprise. Actually, it's not going to be a surprise. No, let's let them know in advance. <laughs> we are going to review a documentary. You can find it on all four. It's called Blind Young Things. So if you want to like go through the documentary and like, hear our thoughts on it, there's a documentary that I have some cameos in, and we'll be chatting about that next week. You can find it on all four, which is, um, if you're not in the UK, just Google it. All four is uh, a channel. For free. Yeah, you get you start for free, just from an email address. Um, it's called Blind Young Things, about the blind college that me and Cleves went to. Uh, we were there at the time. Cleves wasn't in the documentary. And um, T and Horace made the documentary. Horace is in like, one of the first scenes. He doesn't say anything, but he is in one of the first scenes. And I show up a couple of times. So that's going to be next week for Once and Not Surprised. Do your homework. There will be a test. Until then. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Seesaw Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at Seesaw Podcast, Twitter, Seesaw Pod. You can email us at seesawpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on TikTok and Instagram at Seesaw Podcast or Seesaw Pod, depending on which one we want. But get us on the other places. This podcast was recorded in front of a blind audience. I'm not doing it again. You fucking just fucking blue board me last time.